You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for a special episode of Lozano Smith's podcast. My name is Devin Lincoln. I'm an attorney in Lozano Smith's Monterey office. And joining me today is the wonderful Sarah Cotts, my colleague, who last week presented the keynote address at the AXA Negotiators Symposium. For those of you who don't know, AXA is the Association of California School Administrators, and their annual symposium brings together school administrators from across the state to discuss issues that are arising at the bargaining table and to share strategies and ideas on how to address these challenging topics. The topic of Sarah's address was everything I needed to know about life, I learned at the table. And you're gonna hear a lot more from Sarah about what that actually means. Sarah, can you um, please introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Sarah Kotz. Um, I work in Lozano Smith's Monterey office. Most of my practice is in the area of labor and employment, which means that I work with clients on kind of day-to-day personnel issues. But the bulk of what I do is um, labor relations. So table bargaining, and all of the other issues that occur in districts involving their labor unions. Terrific. Now, Sarah presented the keynote speech, as I've mentioned, at last week's Negotiator Symposium. And for a large part of the podcast today, we're going to listen to the recording of that, um, of that presentation. So I'd like to start right away by listening in to her opening remarks. I am here this afternoon to tell you a bunch of things that you already know. Now, I know that sounds like I'm setting a pretty low bar for myself, but, but maybe not. Because a lot of the things that you have learned over the years, you've actually unlearned. Um, you come to wonderful conferences like this, and you listen to amazing and insightful speakers, um, and you learn a lot about collective bargaining and labor relations, but a lot of what we learn here, and honestly, a lot of what I teach is conventional wisdom. And why do we teach conventional wisdom? Well, because a lot of times it really works well. But what happens when you come here and you learn all of these things that you put in here so that you can access them when you're at the table is that you unlearn some of what you know here in your heart, your intuition. Those things that you've learned from being a parent, from being somebody's kid, from being a teacher, a principal, an administrator. When AXA asked me to come and speak here today, they said, um, we'd like for you to talk about the very difficult times that we're all in, that everybody's bargaining in. Um, you know, it's a heavy subject, but, but everybody's saying this is what we need to hear about. Well, that conversation happened in November. And the fact is, since November, it's gotten a lot more serious. So Sarah, last year I heard a lot about, we all heard a lot about teacher strikes outside the state of California, in West Virginia, Colorado, Arizona. Did you see a reaction to that movement here in California? I definitely did, and a lot of my colleagues here in the state did. Um, there were a lot of districts where the unions seemed to be convinced that they actually wanted to go to strike because of what they were seeing in other states. 
But even though the union leadership was telling the districts, telling us that they were ready to go, I think they really knew that the finances, the politics, the numbers were really very different in some of those other uh, states than they are here in California. So I think that while the stage was being set, I don't think a lot of unions here in California wanted to be part of Act One. Um, but what happened is the LA Unified strike. And in fact, this uh, keynote speech was taking place uh, the day after that strike ended. Um, so it was incredibly relevant to the subject matter. So you mentioned the LA teachers strike. I'm hearing that the bargaining environment has become really difficult. What's making that that so? And 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 is that a new thing, or has it been coming for a while? In my opinion, it's been coming slowly for a very long time, and there were a lot of different factors that were playing into that. Um, one was the Janus Supreme Court decision. Some of what's happening in the Public Employment Relations Board, also known as PERB. Um, budget issues, and also what's happening with the California legislature. Um, to summarize those a little bit, first of all, there's this um, Supreme Court case that everybody knows now as Janus, um, in which the courts were being asked to decide whether employees who worked in, in uh, districts or for employers um, that had labor unions, whether they could be forced to pay fair share dues even if they didn't want to be members of the union. And the state of affairs in um, California, in um, uh, several other states, were such that people did have to pay those. So in the Janus case, the Supreme Court decided that it was unconstitutional to require um, that people pay these dues. And so now they can choose to join the union or not join the union. And if they don't join the union, then the unions do not get any money from that. At the same time, um, Public Employment Relations Board, PERB, um, has been overturning decades of uh, case law that has been more favorable to the employment side of the table, um, extending Weingarten rights, doing um, a lot of things that were um, unexpected and have really caused an unpredictable environment for employers. Mm -hmm. Because whereas in the past, uh, employers could read a case and say, oh, well, PERB has said this is something we can do. Now, if they follow that same case law from 20 years ago, they may get challenged uh, to be you know, the, the case that overturns that old uh -huh. decision. Um, as I, I know you're aware of on the budget side of the house, um, you know, with the uh, there was funding for a lot of years under the LCFF. A lot of districts were seeing new money, and it's always easier to bargain when you have money. Sure. Um, and that has flattened out in a lot of districts. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece um, that, that, that was occurring was um, in the legislature. The, uh, the California legislature was passing a lot of legislation, AB 119 and some others, um, to help protect unions both in the event that Janus occurred and then um, at the same time that the Janus decision came out, a bunch of new legislation came out to try to mitigate those impacts um, on the union. Right. And so you have these kind of little storms coming up in all of these places. And I think that the, the Janus decision kind of created the perfect storm, the convergence of all of these things um, and caused the unions to really have to prove their own relevance to their members 
And the way that they do that is um, through filing grievances, um, unfair labor practices, going to impasse, and going to strike. So in your keynote address, you use an analogy from The Wizard of Oz. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about what, what you meant by that? Sure. I was saying to the audience that, that I know that a lot of them feel a little bit like Dorothy. And the, the mental image that comes to mind for me is the picture uh, from The Wizard of Oz where the house has fallen on um, uh, the, the, the witch from the east and the little feet are sticking out from the underside of the house. And um, the sister is really not very happy about what's happened. And that, that's the mental image. And here, I kind of feel like the situation is similar for our clients. Like Dorothy, they didn't cause the storm. They didn't drop the house on anyone. But now they're getting blamed for the catastrophe that's following. Um, and it's created a pretty rough bargaining environment for a lot of our clients. And that's exactly what I was trying to do with this, uh, this keynote speech was tell people how they can tap into the conventional wisdom that they know and the intuition that's in their heart to come up with new strategies for dealing with this very difficult bargaining environment. Um, so we walked through five different bargaining scenarios um, and talked about the conventional wisdom, which might work, um, and some, some, some new tools that might help them in these, these hard times. Okay, great. This sounds like a great time to go back to the audio. Let's listen to the keynote. So what is it that you can do to deal with these hard bargaining times? Tap into your intuition. Tap into the experience that you have as a teacher, as a parent. So what we're going to do is walk through um, five common bargaining scenarios, talk about the conventional wisdom, because the conventional wisdom sometimes works. But then talk about the other tools that you have that you know from your intuition that are actually going to help you through those situations. So the first one is what I like to call the negotiations freak out. So you're at the table with the union, minding your own business, you know, just handing some proposals around. And all of a sudden, somebody on the other side, or maybe the whole other side, just loses it. There's the fist pounding, there's the yelling, there's the waterworks, there's a lot of different flavors of negotiation freak out. <laughs> Looks like Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? <laughs> There's no crying! There's no crying in baseball! So the common wisdom, the conventional wisdom, is not to scream there's no crying in negotiations, although I know you've thought it. Um, but what is, I bet everybody in this room knows what the conventional wisdom is. There is an emotional outburst on the other side. What do you do? Yes, you caucus, I heard it. And caucusing is a great tool, don't get me wrong but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So what is it that you already know? What is it that you know from being a parent, from being a classroom teacher? You're at home, minding your own business, and your teenager walks in upset about something you did, you didn't do. You know, you're the worst, you're the meanest, you don't understand, you'll never understand, just freaking out. Do you stand up and go, caucus, leave the room? <laughs> I tried it once, it doesn't work. So what is it that you do? You breathe, you take a deep breath, you flip on your empathy switch, 
and you listen. Sometimes you need to let them vent. Why? Because sometimes we know exactly why the union is upset. We know exactly why our spouse is upset. We know exactly why our kid is upset. But sometimes we don't. And sometimes the trigger or sometimes the first things that come out of their mouth are not the thing that's actually wrong. And the only way that you get to what is actually wrong is to let them talk, to let them vent. Um, I learned this um, in a situation uh, myself at the table a few years ago that happened on my side of the table. Um, we were in some, some difficult negotiations and we had the union doing things that you see them do but it's frustrating nonetheless where they were going and talking to board members and the superintendent and trying to bargain behind our backs and making side deals then coming to the table and telling us about what everybody else says about what we're supposed to be doing. It was very frustrating for my team. Um, and we had told them that they need to cut it out. Well, one day we could kind of see that another one of these was coming and so we did call our caucus, good plan, um, and we went and we talked about it and said, what are we going to do if they, if they say exactly what we think they're about to say? And we decided we're going to take the high road. Another good piece of conventional wisdom, take the high road. So we went back in and we sat down. We were super calm. We were high roading it. And the first time that somebody on their team opened their mouth and said, well, we just talked to the superintendent, somebody on my team lost it. I mean, stood up and, how dare you, and you can't, and you can't side bargain, and you said you wouldn't, and there is a full-on emotional freakout going on on my side of the table, and there's no time to, to call a caucus. But what happened was a little bit unexpected. The other side, we expected them to start screaming, but in fact, they very undefensively started unloading. They said, no, 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 that isn't what happened and that isn't what we were about to say and th that's not the conversation that we had and it turned out that we were wrong about what was gonna happen. But there were apologies and then there was crying and then there was hugging. I swear to you, I thought I was on Jerry Springer show. <laughs> but this is a true story. It does not always end this poetically. But we had been far apart that morning, and the fact is we signed a TA at the end of the day. And I believe that the reason was that everybody on both sides was so upset that they couldn't get to the issues. And as soon as it, everybody let it all out, we were actually able to get on to business. So the second situation that I wanted to talk about is one um, that is caused kind of by too much of a good thing. Is everybody familiar with requests for information, um, RFIs? That's when the union can ask you for information about um, bargaining, um, anything that they need to reasonably represent their people. So PERB has changed the rules on this. The unions are entitled to a lot more information and you have a lot less time to give them what it is that they want. And so the conventional wisdom on how you respond to this gets a lot of traction, and that is transparency. We all love transparency, and when compared to hiding the ball, transparency is absolutely the way to go. But the problem that I've been seeing is one of over-transparency, which I call the Martian syndrome. 
Um, have everybody seen the bumper stickers, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And then there's the proliferation of bumper stickers, what would my mom do? What would Superman do? What would my black lab do? Um, but the less known one is WWMD, ITMD, which is what would Matt Damon in The Martian do? <laughs> okay, so let's do the math. I have enough food to last for 50 days. He's going to starve to death long before we can help. So I'm going to have to science the out of this. All right, so the real life scenario is this. You would get, get the request for information and some well-meaning, overly transparent HR professional says, oh my gosh, I'm gonna science the bleep out of this. We've got a spreadsheet for this and I can add a column for that. And the fact is, if they really understood this, I'm sure that it would be helpful to them and they give all of this information. But sometimes, the problem with transparency is you can get more and more transparent, but eventually you're just naked. And that's not the look you're going for. So <laughs> case in point, I had a client where they got a, a, an RFI for information on vacation because of a proposal the union was gonna make. And so HR said, you know what? People have a lot of time. I think it's gonna help for them to have all of this other information in the spreadsheet. So it included vacation, sick leave, differential, um, PN, no-tell days, everything is on here. They gave it to the union, and the union was no longer interested in talking about that extra vacation time. Now we had a proposal for more PN. We had questions about whether or not we were calculating leaves correctly. We had a question, we had a proposal to give people, reward them with more vacation for using less sick leave. So this, this was not the result that had been intended. So what is it that you know in your heart? What is it that you know from parenting or from your family that'll help you through this? This is the best piece of parenting advice I have ever received. If your kid asks you what time it is, don't tell them how to build a watch. So what does that mean? My friend who was telling me this story had adopted his daughter. Um, and so we were having a conversation about what did you tell her about the adoption and when and how much. And he said, when your kid asks you what time it is, don't tell them how to build a watch. And what he meant by that was when she was little, she asked simple questions. And my adult brain, he said, was thinking, I want to answer that, but I want her to know this. And what she really needs to know is this. And in my soul, what I want her to understand is that. But instead of responding to that, he resisted, and he answered exactly the question that she had asked, and nothing more. And what he found was that when she was little, that was all she needed. And when she got older, she had a follow-up question, and then another follow-up question, and then a conversation. And that was the right way to answer information, and it's the same thing with the, your union. You're gonna get RFIs, you're gonna think there's all of this other stuff that they need. But it, it isn't about hiding the ball. It's about being truly responsive. Listen to what they're asking for and think to yourself, what is the most simple way that I can deliver a responsive answer to them? Now, if you think there's something that would be more helpful, you can sit down, you can talk to them about it. But once they decide what it is that they want, just deliver that. 
And if they want more, they'll ask. They'll, they're not shy. They never were, and they definitely aren't now. So the next scenario that I want to talk about is how you deal with a vexing new problem. It could be a new statute, could be a statewide problem. So for example, the classified summer assistance program, the substitute teacher shortage, things that people everywhere are dealing with. And the conventional wisdom is don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, we got a really bright, shiny one right there, so I don't need to make a new one. So you say, well, what have we done with this in the past? What are my neighboring districts doing? Can I borrow an MOU from somewhere? And the fact is, conventional wisdom can be very effective, and it's really cost effective. But what I'm finding right now is that a lot of times the unions do not want that solution because they may feel like they got the short end of the stick in that negotiation, like there were unintended consequences that they hadn't foreseen, and that wasn't the answer. And so what is it that you can do in these circumstances? Your life circumstances probably tell you that unconventional times call for unconventional solutions. Sometimes you gotta get a little crazy, you gotta throw the Hail Mary pass. This is a film clip that and, and I say this truly changed my life, um, but it needs a little bit of intro. This is a clip from Argo, um, which is a movie about the um, Iran hostage crisis in 1979 and 80, and there were six Americans who escaped during the hostage taking and took refuge in the Canadian embassy. Um, and they would surely be killed if they were discovered. And they were trying to figure out how are we gonna get agents into Iran <coughs> and get all of these people out without anybody dying. And there weren't good ideas. The, they were coming up with ideas like, we could pretend to be teachers riding across the frozen tundra on bicycles. Um, we could be Hollywood producers scouting a location for, for a new sci-fi film. And this is the high-level discussion that ensued. There are only bad options. It's about finding the best one. You don't have a better bad idea than this? This is the best bad idea we have, sir, by far. I love the expression to this is the best bad idea we had, sir, by far. But those of you who know me, those of you who work with me, know that it's actually quite common for me to start a phone call with, I have a terrible idea. I'm not even sure if I like it yet. I think you're going to hate it, but l let's go with it. And what you have to do is create an environment on your own team where you can come up with a bunch of bad ideas. Because first of all, bad ideas sometimes beget good ideas. But secondly, sometimes you really do have to go with the best bad idea that you have. The fact is those hostages got out of Iran because agents went in pretending to be Hollywood producers making a sci-fi film. That's how that actually ended. So case in point, a situation that I dealt with at the table, I had an um, HR person who's new to HR, um, and it was a district where relationship had never been good with the union. Things were very tough. But as soon as he got in there, they were in work to rule. Uh, we had four or five grievances pending. They were talking about impasse. I mean. It was hard times, although I can see some of you going, okay, that, sound, that sounds like Monday. Um, 
but it was a new kind of Monday for him. And the fact is, times were hard. And there was this super blustery um, guy on the union side, on the other side, who was famous for his budget presentations. Um, that were seen to be just pure fiction, but it was all about how the district is wrong and their numbers are lies and all the information is wrong. And, um, and they went by so fast and they, everybody thought they went by so fast because there's no way he could substantiate them. And so everybody by and large ignored him and ignored his fiction. But this HR person came in and he kept saying, but he really thinks he's right. What if there's something to it? What if he's right? And he kept saying, we need to ask him about his numbers. And he got a lot of pushback. Don't give this guy credibility. We've explained the budget a million times. We're just going to waste time. We need to close. But finally, we decided the next time he starts the crazy PowerPoint, we're going to ask some questions. And we did. And, and this guy stopped the lead negotiator and said, I, I want you to go back to that first slide. Why are your numbers different than ours? Where did that piece of data come from? When you calculate this, what formula are you using? Because that's not what we come up with. And much to our surprise, instead of slapping the laptop closed and running out the back door, which is kind of what everybody thought he would do, he opened up his laptop in an Excel spreadsheet, and he could hover over every single cell and tell you the source of his data. Oh, well, this came from this, and I'm calculating it this way. And all of a sudden, we realized this guy isn't nuts. Now, it didn't mean that he was right. And it didn't mean he was right about all of the conclusions. But it told us two things. We were arguing about completely different subjects. We kept explaining the budget over and over and over again the same way, but ignoring the parts of it that were bothering him. But the second thing that it did for us was this. It allowed us to privately and caucus start questioning a lot of our own assumptions about our numbers and how we explain data. So this was his best bad idea, is let's treat the crazy guy like he's sane. And it turned out that he was. And it did, it took time, but it really did start to move us forward in that negotiation. So the next thing that I want to talk about is a little thing called truth. We all hear about the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Truth shall set you free. But don't get me wrong, truth is good. You don't want to lie to the union, never do that. But sometimes there can be a little too much truth. And I'm going to tell you a very charming true story about one of my colleagues early in bargaining. And he um, was one of those negotiators, great with numbers, great at explaining the budget, a great teacher, really good at making people understand complex uh, concepts. And the teachers were complaining about their poor salary, but this time, a slightly different approach to it. They were saying, you know, if we go out into the private sector with the degrees we have and the experience we have, we can make so much more money. Look at what they make at these jobs compared to what we make. 
And my friend thought, oh my gosh, this is such a teachable moment. They have a fundamental under misunderstanding about how the world works, and I can fix it with this whiteboard. And so he, he got out his pens, and he went over, and he said, you know, no, because you make this much money, but you only work 184 duty days. And the fact is that in the private sector, those people work 230 duty days. So what you need to do is take this and divide it by 184, and then take that and multiply that by the 230 days that they work. And then add in the 12% that the public sector employers pave towards your pension. And the fact is, you people are kind of making like $130,000 a year. Well, he thought he was being helpful. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! But apparently, they couldn't handle the truth. And so he had spent all of this time and all of this energy truly trying to be a helpful dude. And the fact is, it fell flat, and they were really angry. They were really, really angry. They felt they were being spoken down to, and it did not move things forward. And so what do we all know from our own life experiences? What do we know about dealing with the truth and telling people the truth? Here's a situation that maybe you've been the asker, maybe you've been the asky, but I think we've all heard it before. Honey, does this outfit make me look fat? <laughs> the answer to that question is always no. The answer to that question is never in the history of time, yes. If there's nothing else that you write down or take with you, put that one in your back pocket. I'm, I'm a big fan of the first Terminator movie, which was, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger robot coming back from the past, having to deal with humans. And sometimes you saw things from his perspective. You know, he had the computer screen, and he had options A, B, and C of what he could do in this human scenario. Um, and so in that scenario, there are three options. I'll tell you what they are just so that you can go home and have the right answers. Answer number one is, honey, you always look handsome to me. It's a true, true statement. Number two is, you always feel very confident in that red cocktail dress. And option number three is, if by fat you mean fat with a PH, you got it going on. <laughs> Other than that, there, there really is no right answer. So never lie to the union. But you have to think about what is the best way to deliver a hard truth. Is the way to deliver it at the table in front of their people? Or is the way to do it maybe privately? Have a side meeting with the lead negotiator and the president. Are you the right messenger for that tough message? Or is there somebody else at your table who really has the stronger relationship and can tell them the hard truth? Or sometimes you've really just got to finesse it. But definitely there can be too much truth in those situations. Okay, Sarah, so we've listened to the audio of your keynote on four crazy bargaining scenarios. What's the last one? The last one is what I call the non-negotiables, and I think we've all been there both at the table and in life. 
Um, a lot of times when you're you're in a difficult situation, whether it's with the union or with your spouse or with your kids, you're, you're getting pushed from all sides and it draws you in and it makes you become really harder in your own position. And you develop an attitude like, well, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up. This is, you know, th this is absolutely my last stand. And the, the image that I, that I played at the um, Negotiators Symposium is a movie clip from uh, Thelma and Louise. Mm -hmm. And it's the very last scene where the two of them are in the car and it's stopped and they decide, you know, this is the moment. What do we do? And they uh, punch the accelerator and drive off the cliff. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's beautiful. It's these two lovely women flying off a cliff with their hair in the breeze and, and uh, hubcap falling off hands. the wheel and they're holding hands. Exactly. It was, <laughs> it, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and, and when we think about that, it's like, Oh, that, that's such a commitment to a cause. And uh, you know, that kind of determination, it's this very sexy image. Um, but the reason that they stop the movie on that sexy image is that the image of the car upside down at the bottom of the ravine is not very sexy at all. And unfortunately, that's where you end up mm -hmm. if you drive a car off a cliff. Let's listen to the audio from here on in. So what is it that we all know from life and probably from teaching classroom management? Know what hill you want to die on. So I would like to illustrate that with my own personal greatest parenting fail of all times. Um, well, I, I, I shouldn't say that. I, maybe I can do better. So <laughs> my kids are still young. So um, my younger daughter, uh, Gabrielle, she was about two years old, and that kid was a pistol. And not because she was two, just because she's a pistol. Um, and, you know, I had read a lot of really good parenting books, gotten all of this stuff in here like we all do. And so I did learn that the euphemism was that she was very persistent, which is parents speak for she is the most stubborn thing that you could possibly fit into such a tiny little package. And no, I don't know where she gets it from. <laughs> and sometimes apples do fall far from trees when they're on a hill and stuff. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. So Gabrielle, I had a simple request. I said, I want you to take your shoes and move them from the living room to your bedroom. Her big sister just did it. It wasn't hard, but she was having none of it. There was no way she was moving those shoes. But I was super smart. You know, I had read a lot of parenting books, and so I had all sorts of tools in my tool belt. So I asked her nicely, and then I told her about the amazing, fun thing that will happen next after she does that. And then I tried one, two, three magic, and then I tried a timeout, and we were getting nowhere. So I had that moment, like 50 yards from the edge of the cliff, where I could have changed course, but I didn't. Because I was not negotiating with a two-year-old. This was not a negotiation. This was a non-negotiable, and she was going to move those shoes. I just need to figure out how to get her the right motivation 
to do what I wanted to do to get her to bend to my will. So I went into her room, and I got Wolfie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I took a hostage. <laughs> so I came out with Wolfie, and I showed her he was okay, proof of life, all of that. And, and I took him, and I put him up on the hutch, and I said, you are not getting Wolfie back until your shoes are in your bedroom. And I could feel the power balance in that room shift. <laughs> and first, she crossed her little arms and turned her back a little bit and gave me a look that I believe was the two-year-old version of, I don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> But then, I watched her, and literally, her little body started to shake and tremble. And she was furtively looking up at that hutch, and she fell apart. She started screaming and crying, and it was no longer about the shoes. It was no longer about that. That was her favorite thing in the whole world, and she couldn't reach it. And there I was, flying off the cliff, my hair blowing in the breeze and a hubcap falling off. I had picked the wrong battle. And so what happens when you pick the wrong battle? Well, two hours later, those shoes were in Gabrielle's room, and she's the one who put them there. But the fact is that damage was done. I mean, it took a really long time to rebuild that relationship and the trust between Wolfie and I. <laughs> but we're okay now. But really, it is the same thing when you are negotiating with the unions. You can drive off a cliff on principle, and sometimes it really isn't worth it. You can take something hostage, uh, whether, you know, you can take uh, a stipend, uh, health and welfare benefits, time off. And what that can do is galvanize the other side because you have taken something hostage and they can't have it back. Now, negotiations is about horse trading. But it's also about messaging. And if the other side can turn your negotiation into a hostage taking, they're going to do that. So what does that mean? In every go negotiation, in every situation, there is that moment when you get to decide, am I driving off the cliff or not? And you need to have those conversations constantly and privately in caucus, in the boardroom, and decide. But the other really important thing is, the opposite of driving off the cliff is not necessarily hitting your brakes. It might be slowing down. It might be taking a turn. It might be trying to find the best bad solution that gets you on a windy road down to the bottom of that canyon. There are other ways to get there, so think about that before you drive off the cliff. So, in closing, I want to get back to Dorothy Oh, will you help me? Can you help me? You don't need to be helped any longer. 
You've always had the power to go back to Kansas. I have. Then why didn't you tell her before? Like I said, you may be Dorothy. You may or may not be Dorothy. I will tell you, though, that I am not Glenda. Because this scene has always bugged me a little bit. Scarecrow asked that question, well, why didn't you tell us before? And I'm thinking, yeah, Glenda, why didn't you tell her before? Before she got drugged by poppies and was kidnapped by flying monkeys and was basically used as Glenda's henchman to kill her ugly green sister. I mean, I don't think that Dorothy had to go through all of that to learn the lesson that Glenda wanted her to learn. And the fact is, neither do you. And that's why we're talking about this here today. You have all of these tools available to you. You have all of the things that you've learned, but then you have all of the things that are here in your heart, your intuition. Tap into those moments. Tap into the difficult situations that you've had with your parents, with your children, with kids in the classroom, when you were a principal trying to manage difficult or angry parents, those are all of the tools that you have at your disposal. And the stuff that you have here and the stuff that you have here is the whole toolbox that you need to deal with your difficult bargaining times. And those things together are going to get you where you need to be. So breathe. Don't worry about it, because you've got this. Thank you. And Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And, and it's been a delight listening to your keynote and talking with you about all of these issues. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. All right. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Lozano Smith's podcast today. We encourage you to visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com slash podcast to find links and additional details on some of the topics we discussed today. Also make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss an episode. They're great. Talk to you soon. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard.